Yeah. Oh, you do listen to me every now and again, then? Every now and again, yes. Who taught you how to crack jokes? Oh, well, you probably. You're going to put that dog down because otherwise it's going to get vertigo. <sighs> Those cakes are going nicely with a cup of tea. Oh, right. Well, I'll put the kettle on then, shall I? Are you, uh, you decorating? If not, it's a funny-looking handbag. Yes, I thought I'd just give the place a lick of paint if I'm going to be here for a while. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 268 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street Catcher podcast that has learned its lesson and will never look up web addresses at spots in the show anymore, especially not while at work, I'm Gavin. <laughs> oh my god, you didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my, some things you can't unsee. <laughs> but I did get an idea for your Christmas present, so you know. Nice. And I'm still hot. Well, there we go. <laughs> How are you tonight? Ah, oh, better than I was last night. That was fun last night. That was weird last night. We lost power. There was 80 mile per hour winds. We did not lose any limbs or trees. We didn't have anything fall on our cars or our houses. So we're doing much better than... Everyone else. <laughs> nearly everyone else. <laughs> yeah. These are These are moments of... Of terror for me because anytime a storm like that's rolling through, I remember the storm that we had just a couple of years after moving here. Yeah, the week, the weekend before I'm going to Seattle for a conference right. when our power line came down that was attached to the house and ripped half the house off. And I'm exaggerating; it ripped some siding off, but it looked awful. Right. Yeah. So every time a storm like that comes through, I expect something horrendous to happen. Well, and and it didn't. Well, fortunately, our electrician, when he fixed when he fixed it the last time, attached that pole to the house as opposed to embedding it in concrete, which was the problem last time. Right. So, but yeah, that's so not the only have... thing that could possibly go wrong in a storm, though. So right, there, there's, yeah. there's no end of things that could go right. wrong. Yes, well, you were in Seattle while I had to deal with, you know, two weeks of no power and was on the news as the last house in Eaton Rapids to get power mm. back right. and everything. But fortunately, this time around, we were spared anything more than, what, like six hours of no power, which yeah, but made it very asleep. hot. I was upstairs asleep. Yeah. And then you came up and said, that's a tornado siren going off in town and like do i need to get up for that i'm not sure yeah you know, yeah i think you'd maybe better come downstairs right so as soon as the power went off the fans that we've got in an attempt to cool down the bedroom right they went out so yes. like fuck this come down the stairs then where it's a little bit cooler <laughs> but ended up going back up after the storm passed through around about midnight the power uh-huh. still hadn't come on and I did, I did get to sleep amazingly but then at four o'clock the power came back on again and these fans that we've got in the room just back into life and it scared the bejesus out of me. I thought it was caught in a jet turbine or something. 
And then you go, huh, those fans really do make a difference. <laughs> you think that they don't, but suddenly the room was much, much cooler. Yes. So, so yes. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> As a result, I'm exhausted tonight. Yes. And yet, you're going to be up on all hours because we are recording a bit late because somebody had a soccer game. Yeah, and somebody felt that they should go to that soccer game. Yes. And that somebody was me. Yes, because somebody else had to watch Coronation Street. I'm getting confused here. Who's the somebody else now? Anyway. That would be me. Yeah, I reckon I'd go to my bed six hours after we hit record. And we hit record tonight at 9.10. So Yikes. that's good stuff. Well, at least you don't have anything to do tomorrow except go see Gran Turismo at some point. Ugh, I'm not even sure I want to do that. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that stormy Cory news. Mazeltov to the former selfish, selfish Kate, <laughs> Faye Brooks, and new husband, Ewan Lewis on their recent nuptials. Congratulations to Congratulations you both. to them. Yes. Yes. They they co-starred in uh, Legally Blonde, the musical. Well, I, I didn't and, think the movie. <laughs> no. You know, and, and fell in love. And that's, that's sweet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, isn't it? Yes. So congratulations to them. Congratulations indeed. Yes. Corey newcomer, Stephanie Davis, who plays child groomer Courtney Vance, had a fall this week and was rushed to hospital. Fortunately, it was just a sprain and not a break. And fortunately, she's not on the show at this current moment. So, because they're still in the Caribbean, aren't they? I think they should be back by now. Yeah. We haven't had this story for a few weeks. It's true. A couple of weeks at least. Thank God. Thank oh, God. Oh, not missing it. Because I hate it. Yep. I hate it so much. And I saw something, it wasn't it. exactly a spoiler, but it was something that she'd posted on Insta or something where she mm-hmm. says that Courtney's coming back. Oh, you're going to love this. And I'm like, no, I don't think we are. No. <laughs> really don't think we are. Not the way that it's going. It needs to no. go in a completely different direction for right. me to love it. Yes. Yes. A way in which she's, she's not grooming. A, a child. Yeah. Yes. And finally, if it isn't the footy messing with our stories... It's the rugby. This is just the ultimate insult. Seriously. Fucking rugby. In September. Well. A game for people who can't play football. It it gets worse. It gets worse. (laughs) In September, on Thursday the 7th, Corey will air for an hour at 9 p.m. and will not be shown on Friday the 8th, giving way to which game of the World Cup, you might ask? Is, Is England playing? Is Scotland playing? Is Wales playing? Is Is Ireland playing? I don't know. No. No. It's giving way for the France v. New Zealand game. Oh, well, New Zealand are like the best team in the world. What the hell, man? Well, yeah, but France. France are also very good at rugby. (laughs) Yes, but neither one of those are, are, are British are parts of the United Kingdom in which Coronation Street airs. So why do we care? No, this is a big game in the World Cup. Even I know that. I'm sorry. You're just proving that you don't know anything about rugby. I'm just really... Well, why should I fucking care about rugby? Oh, you shouldn't. Rugby? You absolutely shouldn't. Rugby I'm, of all things. I'm just glad I'm here to keep you right. <laughs> New Zealand. They're good at rugby. Well, I New think Z- that's what it says at the airport in yes. New Zealand. At New Zealand airport. Sam and M. I 
I'm sorry. If it doesn't involve... It, American wheat ripper. I mean, him. That's kind of South African, though, wasn't it? Get your ass if me motor car. Yeah, that's... There we go. The, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. If it doesn't involve... A man involve- of a thousand voices. <laughs> All of them sounding roughly the same. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News, and that takes us oh, oh so seamlessly into World Podcast for Coffee. Thanks to Joe T. Thank you, Joe. Joe T. For coffee. That's kind of funny. Joe and T. Hey guys, please enjoy some end of summer and welcome to the This Side of 50 Club Gav coffees. Hope you have an awesome Michigan autumn. Oh, that's Thank you lovely. very much, Joe. That is lovely. Yes, we're, we're getting very close to pumpkin spice latte season and I'm very excited for that. Yep. Yes. Our I, plans I, this fall is for the podcast to be pumpkin spiced as well. Ooh. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yes, thank you very much, Joe, for your very generous donation to our coffee funds. I'm drinking orange juice because we've run out of soda. Yeah, and we didn't do the grocery. I've been so confused about what day of the week it is because <laughs> it's, we've had a lot going on this week. We have. Over and above storms. And soccer. I'm just like... You're I, out of sorts and it's okay. There we go. I'll get it done tomorrow. And I'm drinking water with... Lemon juice. Oh. Fancy. Yes. The talk of the street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes, Helen. Don't Woo! forget about that. But if you think your show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can go and buy us next week's coffees by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of every single episode. With Pickles and Daisy and Helen. There we go. Remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you so much because that does seem to be happening. Really? Yeah. Month on month. Oh. Our monthly downloads are not a good metric of how well you're doing right but if you were to pay attention to that metric Mm -hmm. for the past eight months it's been on the rise so that's very exciting stuff and i'm excited very appreciative of that yes we are and now this welcome 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 to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Iminim. No, <laughs> the Weatherfield Inquisition. The Weatherfield Inquisition. Now I'm sorry, I got nothing. That's right, this was the Knicker people harassing Carla for news of new silk arriving to the factory. You had no chance of getting that. No, none at all. I was Gavin and you were debt free. Yeah, yeah, how'd that work out for you, Helen? How did that work out for you? Oh, past oh, Helen? God. I think future Helen has some bad oh, news for you. Oh, God. I am just... I will be paying off my student loans until I'm 60. Until the day you die. Whichever comes first. Right. 
toss a coin at the moment. So fucking depressing. It is. It really is. Therefore, don't go to college. Don't go to college. Don't go to university. <laughs> Sounded like you were going to say, don't go to the toilet. And, and particularly, you shouldn't go to the toilet. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Open wide. Plop flush. And we're done. <laughs> we were switching from a Coronation Street podcast to uh, a student finance podcast, also called The Talk of the Street. We went to see high school football and the woman at the box office grabbed your arm. She did, to <laughs> stare at my tattoo. It was terrible. Without consent. I was confused by cheerleaders and no one was thinking about the monkeypox. Steve continues to be let down by his rogue builder and finds himself another 500 bucks out of pocket to keep the scaffolder happy. Stephen ingratiates himself with Carla by solving the supply chain issues at the factory. And God, that's been going to for a year. About a possible takeover. This has been going on for a year, and that's this, that's why I keep on doing this section. Oh God, it's too summer, long. Summer lies to Billy about our suitability for one of those fancy automatic diabetic monitor things, which puts Aaron in an awkward position. Alia and Zidane, because Zidane was a thing. <laughs> come across some worrying aspects of Homeless Shoes case files, including a missing tape that captured the moments leading up to his confession. Bernie has money issues again as she tries to follow up on a promise she made to buy Joseph his new school uniform. Glenda and Mary organise a surprise for Dylan on the day that he's due to return to that London. Is Dylan still in Coronation Street? I think he's in that London at the moment. Didn't he come back because he hated it? Yeah, but then I think he went back again. Did he? We haven't seen him in ages. Kelly and Adi of course, we haven't seen most of the children in ages. No. Kelly and Adi pretend to be a couple in order to win the Mexican honeymoon from the Gazette. That was quite funny. Yasmin's mind is on a pink penny. Dev nurses a smart jaw. And Riz Ahmed's agent is on the phone. Our moment of the week was Adi and Kelly admitting their feelings to each other. Oh, if only that had lasted. Seriously. And a boring moment of the week was Chesney worrying about kebab coupons. And that was <laughs> oh Coronation God. Street. And the talk of the street. This time last year we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap we're back <laughs> i still find that funny i don't know why taking I 15 think, was funnier i think it's because i'm sticking with it <laughs> i think it started off funny and then it was not funny for a long time and i think it started to become funny again i thought it wasn't meant to be funny i thought it was meant to give advertisers ideas it's an open space in case advertisers do want to drop in. Now, aren't you ashamed now that you said no to the, to the manscape people? Manscaped no, people. no, I'm I'm sticking by that as much as I think I would like their products. <laughs> yeah, so it you is just nine, didn't want to talk about your balls. Not every week, once a month maybe. <laughs> it is nine thirty. So we've got a lot to get through, so there will be no time, sadly, for any jokes this week. Shall we dive in, Except Madea? for the ones we've already told. Yeah, those don't count. <laughs> Our first storyline tonight is dead head hunting. On Monday at Island, she's still fair made up about Todd being young funeral director of the year. George is having a bit of bother with his jacket that apparently a bird has shot on. Eileen fusses and finds a business card from Troy from a few weeks ago, and George quickly throws it away, but Todd's curiosity gets the better of him. So when the coast is clear, he does a Stephen and rakes it out of the bin. Gross. Uh-oh. 
In Nina's roles, Todd reveals to Glenda how annoyed he is at George for scuppering his career prospects vis-a-vis the headhunting from Rest Easy. Glenda tells him to talk to her brother and let him know how he feels. Because it's become clear now that George knew about this offer from Troy and kept it from him. Right. Is there anything that should compel George to tell Todd about this? Maybe tell it in a disparaging way. Well, or or maybe just not take the card out of the pocket of somebody else's jacket in the first place. Mm. That's true. And then he, Todd would have found it himself and made disparaging remarks and thrown it away. Probably. More than likely. Yeah. So later, Todd is still in the mood with George, who has been late getting back from a visit and left Todd to deal with some clients who hate funerals. He doesn't explain his grievances outright, so George doesn't pick up on anything. And when Todd mentions that he hasn't heard from Rest Easy lately, George reckons that the award has sent a hands-off message. When Todd fishes for 200 quid a month extra, George chokes on his empty coffee cup and runs inside. Fuck this, says Todd. So he calls Troy and arranges a meeting after all. So Todd and Troy meet up in the bistro. Tell me what my future holds, says Todd. And Troy paints a picture of 30 grand a year. Ooh. This is more than George is paying him, but Todd still wants to think about it. But then George comes in with a client and goes full rage when he sees Todd and Troy together and he calls Todd a Judas. George was just trying to protect Todd. At least he's going to pay me what I'm worth, says Todd. As little as that, says George. Oh, that was Burn. good, wasn't it? Wasn't that good? Burn. And as the two of them bicker, Troy poaches George's client from under his nose, which was quite funny. It was funny. Back home, George is still furious, and so is Todd. Eileen is ambivalent about it all, but keen for Todd to earn more money if that means him getting the fuck out of her house. After everything George has done, including the Young Funeral Director of the Year nomination, Todd owes it all to him, but Todd sees this admission as just another lie, and he storms out. So finally, George has admitted to what we, I guess, knew. Already knew. Because who else is going to nominate him? Right. It's weird that he lied about it. Why wouldn't you just say, yeah, I nominated you? Well, I think it kind of means more if it wasn't him. It's like if suddenly you got a nomination for Wife of the Year and found out that it was me that nominated you. It had better be you. (laughs) There's only two other people that it could have been, and I don't want anything from them except for child support. That was a bad example. It was a very bad example. Did you get what I mean, though? should have said Book Curator of the Year. On Wednesday at breakfast, George is still mad at Todd, but has accepted his resignation. Todd thinks he's going to work his notice, but George doesn't want any corporate espionage happening, so puts Todd on gardening leave, and this really pisses on Todd's chips. It really does. Turns out, Todd didn't even really want to leave George in the first place, but now feels compelled to do so. Right. At home, George finds Todd on the phone with a Shuttleworths client and switches him to rest easy and upgrades to a fancy walnut coffin. You are a fucking shit, says George. You'll fit right in at rest easy with all the other pricks. Do you think he came back to offer Todd his job back? Probably. Todd is crushed, just like Rana, who also had a funeral. Remember? Yes, I do remember. In the pub. No one else remembers. No. I was trying to figure out a way to work in a crushed Rana joke into the announcement of Faybrook's wedding. And I just, I couldn't do it. So in the pub, a sorrowful George is on the pint and is so desperate to replace Todd that he asks Glenda to come work at The Undertaker's. Glenda, even though she was awesome that one time she did it, 
that day that she joined, mm-hmm. she has two other jobs and doesn't need to work with dead people. She does agree, though, that shuttles work, that Shuttleworths needs a bit of zhuzhing yes. into the 21st century. How yes. do you think I spell zhuzhing in my notes? I don't even want to know. Best not to. No. So next, George tries to get Eileen involved in the business, but... That was hilarious. She tells him to GTF too. And at this, I've posted on Twitter saying, George has one no away from having Mary as his assistant. Yeah. Let's see how that worked out. Mm. So on Friday, at Eileen's, it's still tense. George has made breakfast for everyone except for Todd. He hasn't been able to find a replacement yet. Todd, meanwhile, is ready for his first proper day with Rest Easy. Uh-uh-uh. Mary made her own yogurt. She made her own? Well, she did. (laughs) (laughs) Not like that. She scooped it out of the container and put it in a bowl. Scooped it out. Of a container. Uh, Nobody is milking Mary. You're fine. First proper day with rest easy. Burying a customer who was stolen from George. I'm suddenly getting flashbacks to that Star Wars movie. At the (laughs) Rape Hotel, Todd is set up for his first ceremony. Troy reminds him to try and upsell what even on the day of the funeral Troy says that they'll agree to anything on the day they want to spend the money they just need a little nudge and Todd looks appalled but agrees and you suspect that Todd's thinking everything George has said has been true yeah which he already knew which he already knew because of the the young funeral director of the year thing you know which is why it's really ridiculous from the very beginning, it was really kind of ridiculous for George to jump to conclusions that Todd would ever really jump ship. Old Todd, old new Todd, what would have? Yeah, but this Todd, new new Todd, new new Todd, isn't really yeah. about no money as much. No, it's loyalty means something to him now. Yes, absolutely. and loyalty to George particularly means something to him. Yes. So, Mary cooeys outside the Undertaker's and offers to be George's assistant today, on her day off, no less. George has no choice and gives her the task to go and collect an open casket. No. I think, doesn't she? No. They're going to a meeting where the family wants an open casket. And she's going to be the note taker. He wants her to stay there and vacuum. And, I don't know... Are open caskets not a thing in the United Kingdom where Mary is horrified by the idea of an open casket? I've never been to a funeral with an open casket. I've never not been to a funeral with an open casket unless the person was cremated. Here, the only reason... Yeah, there's no point. Right. Here, the only reason why you don't have an open casket is because they were in a horrible accident and were maimed beyond recognition. And nobody wants to see that. Because how are you going to like tuck in pictures and stuff for your loved ones to take to the great beyond with them? It's none of your business putting anything in there. Yeah. The only funeral that I've been to here was closed casket. What, what funeral did you go to here? One of my co-workers was in a car crash. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't go to that with you. No. Yeah, the only other funerals that I've been to since we've been together was your mum. And Nana, and they were both cremated. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there was somebody from our church, and she had an open casket. But you didn't go to that. That funeral was the only Catholic funeral I've ever been to. And it was a very confusing experience. Yes, Catholic funerals, just like Catholic weddings, just 
lots of standing up and kneeling down and right. stuff. And, and I have no idea what to do. And they have communion, but you can't go because you're not Catholic. So you're just sitting there awkwardly in the pew watching everybody else line up. Yeah, I was on my phone. It was fine. <laughs> so after the funeral, <laughs> after the funeral, I wasn't. Uh, I, wasn't. I, I can't remember, to be honest. After the funeral, Todd has to apologise for rushing through the eulogies and asks the bereaved if he has any ideas for the ashes. Todd tries to sell a fancy urn and looks like he's about to be sick doing it. Right, yes, because the wife very specifically wanted to be spread on her begonias, Mm -hmm. which is nice. You know, it's just like there's a bit of your mom in our backyard. Right. You know, and he's like, well, what if you move? Don't you want her in a nice... A nice urn so you can take her with you wherever you go. Makes her portable, he says. Yes. That's a good word to use when you're talking about the Somebody's remains ashes. of a loved one. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, I guess, because, you know, Sweetie Cat's ashes are still sitting by the TV. So That's through laziness, though. <laughs> In the pub later, George tells Glenda that Mary isn't assistant material she's just too cheery <laughs> Todd comes in and while they both obviously have something to say to each other they refuse to talk about it and drink separately both unhappy yeah and that's as far as we get with that this week yeah now I would have said any other time this was just a a weak story to, to not a weak story a story that lasts for a week yes we to, get it to, to fill in some time and by the end of it Everything will reset. Yeah. But this started last week. Yeah. Went into this week and is now going into its third week of a of a storyline. So I would normally think that sooner or later Todd's going to go back and work with George, but I'm not so sure now because they're both super stubborn. Yeah. And it's going to take one of them to to admit to how they feel yes. and and what they want, and it's like I'm not sure where that's going to come from. Mm-hmm. It, it's probably Eileen, but I don't think she really cares enough no oddly she's so funny though i love that whole conversation when george suggested she come work for she's like i don't give a fuck about people i hate people why would you want me to help with people Mm -hmm. i hate them right i've never felt so seen in a soap opera (laughs) i mean glenda doing it you could see because we've seen her doing it and she was so good so good so uh gave the gave the event the real pomp that it, it required it deserves, when she was yes. there with the black veil she just looked so smart she at the did. front of the front of the the hearse so she really would be good at it right Blake she says she only has she has two jobs at the moment right anyway I was like, and oh, what's also, her second job oh it's with the kids the right. kid thing yeah the singing and dancing with the kiddos mm-hmm Remember when we thought that that was going to be a scam and she was going to lose all this money and it was never going to work out? Yeah, so the reason for that really was to give her this job to do. Right. It wasn't to scam her out of money. No, it was to give her a chance to like actually be singing and dancing on the show. She got another mention of how she used to work the cruises this week. She did. In Always funny. In such a fabulous scene that made so many... So many internet trolls. So mad. <laughs> so, yeah, so do you see a way back? There's got to be one somehow. Mm. They're so good together. They're so cute together. They've got this, this great p- 
paternal thing going on. Did you finally see the Laurel and Hardy pics? I haven't yet, no. There's one on their timeline. But you know what? It reminds me of, I saw this meme this this week um, that said, that had a picture of Bert and Ernie on it. And it said, every every great television duo Mm -hmm. has one banana-shaped one and one orange-shaped one. Yes. I will not be taking questions. And the picture was of Bert and Ernie. But obviously, Todd and George also fit the banana and orange thing. You're a tall, straight guy, normally. Right. And a small, round, funny guy. Right. This Abbott and Costello, it's Cannonball, it's little and large. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they fit it so well. They do. I wonder if the turning point is going to be Todd being asked to whore himself even more than he than he is being asked and just saying no to it. I wonder if it's going to come from him, but that thirty grand compared to being unemployed is going to is going to mean something at that point. Right. But here he is, nearly forty. Is nearly he, forty years is he old. That old? Yeah, because his age is with Sarah. Is Sarah forty? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't doubt you, but also, oh, still having babies at forty. Thirty-eight was hard enough. Not thirty-eight. <laughs> so, what baby did you have at thirty-eight? No, let's see, two thousand eight minus. Oh, Helen's didn't mass. Hold on. How old was I when Stella was born? Let's see. Mm-hmm. 32. This embarrasses us all. I was in my 30s. 32 was hard enough having a having a baby. What you do the math was hard enough. 32 is already, you know, considered a, a geriatric pregnancy. Almost. Is it these days? I don't think so these days. <sighs> anyway, 30 grand at 40 years old. Oh, well. Ah. <sighs> oh. We shall see how that goes. Our next storyline tonight is New Mother's Day. On Monday, at Tyrone's, Cassie says she's off to Citizens Advice Bureau to see about getting a place to live barely 24 hours after the big fuss Tyrone made of moving her in. This drove me mental when this happened Mm -hmm. on on Monday. Right. After all this fuss about kicking Evelyn out Mm -hmm. and Evelyn having to live in that precinct flat. She already has a flat. She does, you know, her mom already got her a flat she can live in. Yep. Of course, this is just an excuse. It's just an excuse. It's just yeah. an excuse. And we all know it, except for Tyrone. He's worried that she won't come back, but she sort of promises that she will, probably. <laughs> and Cassie goes to the Alleyway of Doom, where she meets up with Dean. It's the street's friendly neighborhood dealer. Do you remember Dean? I do, but only because I mentioned the fact that he was coming back on Corey News. Two weeks ago. Yeah, he is the guy that dealt Abby. Mm-hmm. She's looking for drugs, but he needs paid for the last time and he starts to push her around when a passing Michael kind of scares Dean away and insists on taking Cassie to hospital with a severe case of being shoved over. Well, Michael comes over first when he hears her scream and she pretends that she's like making out with him. So Michael walks away. But then there was the scuffle and she gets pushed. And that's when Michael goes back and tells the dude to back off and takes her to the hospital. I love it when I try and 
abridge things to save time. Mm. So at the hospital, we don't know if there's been an ambulance involved. At the I don't hospital, think so. Michael insists on seeing that Cassie's okay, so waits for her to get uh, taken to seeing the doctor, which is exactly the opposite of what she wants. They get talking about kids, and Michael says that glory is the best thing that has ever happened to him. But Cassie's mind is on drugs and gets up to leave. Michael thinks the guy from the alleyway of doom is bad news and wants to report him to the police. But Cassie insists that she fell, and she doesn't want to take this any further. Michael goes off to get coffee, and for some reason Cassie doesn't do a runner at this point. And when he comes back, Dean shows up and starts hassling Abby, I mean Cassie. Mm-hmm. And in the kerfuffle, Michael gets a hook to the jaw for his troubles. But bad news for Dean because Uncle Ronnie's behind him. And uh-huh. he soon Ronnie-fies the situation. With those amazing arms he's got. Throwing Dean out. Ronnie wants the police involved also, but Cassie begs him not to. And then gets called by the nurse. Roy and Freddie are round visiting Evelyn, who is sprucing up her flat if she's going to be there for a while. And there's a knock at the door, and it's Tyrone looking for Cassie. Evelyn can barely conceal her glee. Back on the walk, is she? Tyrone wonders why she assumes the worst. And Evelyn says it saves time, and doesn't reckon that you'll see her for dust. But when Cassie finally gets home, saying that she fell running for a bus... Ty gets on the phone to tell Evelyn that she's okay, insisting to Cassie that he doesn't think she's back on drugs or anything like that again. But Evelyn did, he says, but you're not. You can be trusted. And Cassie swallows her chin a wee bit. Mm-hmm. Then on Wednesday, Cassie's late getting up and Ty has taken the morning off to spend some time with her as he peels spuds for dinner. He'd like to invite Kev and Abby over so he can see Abby and Cassie in the same room at the same time and wonder if the world's going to end. Cassie pretends to give a shit and tells him to go for it. So Abby and Kev come round for some of Tyrone's shepherd's pie. Shall I play, mother? says Abby, deciding to use a phrase that people used to say 40 years ago before serving tea. Womp womp. And this segues rather brutally into a discussion about how much an addict can love their kids. And Cassie sniffs the setup. Mm. She doesn't want to spend all of her time hanging around with other addicts. And Tyrone insists that, look, it's just a coincidence. It just smelled like an intervention. Abby's had enough of looking at her slightly older equivalent and she and Kev leave. On their own, Cassie is unreasonable with Tyrone, accusing him of feeling uncomfortable with her and asking if he wants to know exactly how low she sank as an addict. Tyrone admits that he invited guests over for company and familiarity, given that he hasn't a fucking clue really who Cassie is. Tyrone needs to get back to work, so now Cassie thinks that he can't wait to get away from her. And he admits that this is difficult and new. And Cassie admits to coming on a bit strong, but wants this to work. So suggests that they share a silence together. Great idea, Cassie, because every time you open your mouth, you're throwing Ty into a guilt trip. Seriously. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Ugh. I'm not sure how you read this exactly. No. Because she if, is on the muck. She's if she isn't on the muck at the moment, she's dying to get back onto the muck. Right, yeah. Yeah, she's... Yeah, because we saw the painkillers in her bag. Right. And Evelyn, already. And Evelyn just knows from last week. Yeah. And Evelyn just... I think because she's just so fed up, she just says the absolute wrong things to Tyrone, which just pushes Tyrone back mm-hmm. into Cassie's corner. Yep. And it, it kind of feels like Roy wants to gently reprimand her, 
but doesn't. Yep. It was nice to see Freddy. It was nice to see enough of Freddy. I mean, or any of the dogs on the street. I'm still kind of bent out of shape a little bit about the Abby and Cassie stuff being so similar. But I actually thought an awful lot of this was was pretty well observed. Maybe not so much the stuff with Dean, but the stuff with Ty and Cassie together. Mm-hmm. The, and the guilt tripping. The, the guilt tripping. Yeah. But I think the, the bit that I really liked was the admission from Tyrone that the reason that he invited his friends over was for that sense of familiarity. That right. At least there was something about this that was normal, mm-hmm. even though he doesn't really have dinner with Kevin Abbey on a regular basis. But no. having them around made an un familiar situation feel right. that a little bit more comfortable right. and that felt very very accurate and very yes. true that that's the sort of thing that we want to do and also that there's a desire on his part to get to know his mother but and also there's part of him that is kind of afraid terrified of it and distrusting of it yeah. because she is a stranger mm-hmm. and just because somebody says that they're your mum yeah there's a difference between a mum and a mother and right well, she's one, but not really the other right. at the moment. And and that's it's a, an interesting nuance to observe. And I think it was working pretty well because by the end of it, at the start, I'm thinking, well, that's her. She's on the muck and she's at it. And mm-hmm. she's going to be playing Tyrone and she's going to get, right. she's going to be ripping him off and six ways to Sunday. But by the end, when she's talking about sharing a silence together and sitting in each other's company and mm-hmm. maybe not trying so hard right. and all that sort of stuff. It was like, does, does she want to have a relationship with him? I think maybe she does, but she can want two things at the same time that contradict each other. Right, she desperately wants to hurt her mother. Well, from the start, this has been a one-upmanship. Yeah. It's like, I want to get in your good books by making her your number one enemy. And to be fair, right. that's exactly what Evelyn was doing as well. But Evelyn had a point. <laughs> well, well, right. But can Cassie want to have a relationship with Ty while still relapsing and relapsing further and trying to relapse further and and knowing how that's going to end? Because if she does relapse, then the person that she's wanting to love and get to know is the person that she's going to be hurting the most, and she must she must know this by now. But does she care? Well, this is it. This is the contradiction because addicts don't care. Mm. You know, they care about one thing, right? And that's that's getting the stuff that they need to feed their addiction. Whether it's and it's really interesting because we we get kind of a reference to a very different kind of addiction in another storyline this week and how that particular addiction has affected a family. Right. And continues to. Right. And it's interesting. It's interesting to see the kind of contrast between those, those two families, mm-hmm. those two very different families. Um, I don't know. I am, I am not convinced because she never looked for him. The only reason why she knows where he is and who he is is because she followed Evelyn back that one time. Mm-hmm. You know? 
She'd made a decision that she wanted to get clean again. Or maybe that decision was made for her. Yeah. But to do that, she needed Evelyn. Right. Yeah. It's it's a, it's an interesting catch-22 there where she needs Evelyn, but she also hates Evelyn because she needs Evelyn mm-hmm. to get clean. And there's a part of her... I, I don't think she really wanted to get clean that time. I think it was just the fact that she nearly overdosed and was in hospital and the hospital called Evelyn because that's how Evelyn found out that she wasn't dead. Right. Which is a nuance that I think keeps getting lost in this whole thing. The fact that Evelyn genuinely thought she was dead when Tyrone asked her the very first time where my mother is. She genuinely thought she was dead. She seemed to think that she was in South Africa, I think, still at that point. But and, dead. And, well, assumed to be dead because because she's a drug addict. And if she hasn't heard from her in the longest time, then, right. then what's the most likely outcome, supposed you know, she's going to be here? She's probably dead, right. yes. I, I do think that when she left... That, that strange week when we were introduced right. to her and she left the same week... When we saw her getting into the taxi at that point, I think I believed her at that point that she wanted to get clean. And then she came back supposedly clean. Right. But then, but then it, it's always just temporary. Just went right back. And so it's weird that she keeps on going to Evelyn for this, who doesn't really have a great track record in making it stick. Well, again, you know, this, 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 the time that that started all of this back up again was not Cassie's choice. It was a hospital calling Evelyn when Cassie had overdosed and so had had no idea that the hospital had called her mother to begin with because she was in a coma situation. So it feels like this whole vicious cycle here is really nobody's choice. And, and honestly, it just it really feels like the whole reason she's doing this is here's a new person that she can dupe and mm-hmm. get money from and also hurt her mother. Yeah. That's, you know, and that feels like that's, that's it. It doesn't feel like she really genuinely wants to get clean. It doesn't feel like she genuinely has had this moment. And, and that's important, you know, Evelyn can bend over backwards trying to drag her to rehab after rehab after rehab. But until Cassie is the one who wants to get clean, she's never going to get clean. Right. So, you know, this will end in heartbreak. But And Fizz and Evelyn breaking her legs. Well, I'm like, yeah, Tyrone has never needed Fizz to be back more than than he does right now. But what, what more could you want? Or what could you want that's bigger than a relationship with a son that you've been robbed of decades of of a life together? If you're not, if that isn't a wake up call enough, then I'm not sure there is one. Well, here's the thing: I don't think she ever wanted Tyrone, and while that choice was taken away from her. By Evelyn taking him to the fire station or wherever she took him. Yeah, police station, I think. Okay. Oh, it's, it's traditionally fire stations, isn't it? It is. It is. 
Because who wants the cops involved? <laughs> well, the, the fireman's not going to arrest you. No, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't get the impression that she ever spent a moment pining for the son that she lost. Or if she did, it was to use it as an excuse to throw herself more into our addiction. Right. Or this has been robbed from me. I have nothing else. Right. The fact I never really wanted it in the first place will just right. forget about. It. So now I can go right. full tonto into the drugs. Or try to hurt or or manipulate her mother mm-hmm. by, you know, oh you robbed me of my child. Because Evelyn's right. If she hadn't done what she did, Tyrone would be dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, they'd probably all be dead. Right. Yeah. I'm still wondering if we're going to get a dad out of this, and I'm wondering if we're going to get brothers and sisters out of this, but I think I'm more inclined to think now that maybe there's a dad here than there's... Uh, siblings. Than there's siblings, because somebody as kind of awful and selfish as as Cassie, if she does have other kids, she has no idea where they are. Correct. All right, let's move on to the next storyline tonight, which is the, the companion piece to that, uh, which is Risky Business. On Monday, Debbie and Ronnie are in Nina's roles. Debbie has been doing some calculations and reckons that Ronnie should buy £25,000 worth of Newton and Ridley shares and has the chance to double his money. Well, you've always got the chance of doubling your money. If you buy £1 worth, you've got a chance of doubling your money. Right, because that's only £2. Ed doesn't even need to know about this. See, I can do maths. Yes, your one and two times tables so far have <laughs> proved impeccable. Later, Ed is unloading his truck when Ronnie comes along to moan about doing these skivvy sorts of jobs when they should be getting more white-collar stuff but playing the stock market as well and getting some Newton and Ridley shares. Ed seems to have forgotten last week's Corey, and who can blame him? So Ronnie has to explain again about Debbie's hot tip. Ed is more interested in doing up some cottages, but again, Ronnie is disappointed in Ed's lack of ambition and explains again about the insider information. And it's not gambling because it's surefire. Ed's had his share of surefire things and has broken Aggie's heart one too many times as a result. Ronnie offers to speak to Aggie and Ed pushes himself laughing. So later at the hospital, Ronnie and Michael are chatting about the altercation in the Cassie storyline. And Ronnie is there looking for Aggie, but apparently she's on another ward. And then they have this kind of sad wee discussion about the violence that health workers have to put up with as part of their day-to-day job. And how Aggie's been assaulted probably on more than one occasion. But not a word to Ed about any of this, you hear? Right. So later, Ed meets Ronnie in the Rovers, curious if Ronnie has spoken to Aggie, but doesn't seem too disappointed when Ronnie says that he never got round to it. But Ronnie instantly spills his guts about Aggie having been assaulted at work, and this obviously is news to Ed. So back home, when Michael comes in, Ed goes mental, and in the ensuing argument, it also transpires that the family has an emergency fund set aside in case Ed fucks up again and gambles away all their savings. No one's saying that it could happen, says Michael, but it could happen. Right. Clearly saying that it could happen. Right. And when the dust settles, Ed doesn't blame them. Michael is now keen that Ed will keep Stum about him spilling all the family beans. 
Michael reminds Ed that Aggie loves her job and wouldn't want to give it up anyway. Well, not unless you become a mega successful property developer or something like that. And Ronnie's eyes light up. In the pub, Ronnie gives Debbie the green light for the illegal insider trading stuff. And there's an amusing wee scene where it seems that Debbie and Glenda have a bit of a beef together about Ronnie and his lovely arms. Yeah. When did that happen? When when did Glenda ever like She's got eyes. <laughs> I mean we all have eyes. But Glenda hits on everybody. Mine are up here, by the way. <laughs> Glenda hits on everybody, even the gays. Come on now. Debbie was taking it very seriously. It was. It was hilarious. There's also this hilarious there there are there are two hilarious scenes this week where alliteration in names is used and one time it's debbie downer and it's in within <laughs> hearing of debbie and she says yes somebody's <laughs> speaking to me right. and that was so funny to me that was good so you forgot to mention the bit in the in the house where ed agrees to let ronnie handle all of the finances and the money and in in their business together and that's what gives Ronnie the green light to give Debbie the green light because Ed will have nothing to do with the money. On Wednesday, Ronnie is now the proud owner of a shitload of Newton and Ridley shares. He's got a bit of buyer's regret, but Debbie insists that they'll be selling themselves in the Caribbean before too long, just like the end of trading places. In the bistro, Ronnie has a ton of paperwork to set up Eddie Ron at Company's house, but Ed reveals that Dee Dee will help with all that shit. And she'll even help with the accounts, given how Ed is useless with money. Uh, numbers. Dee Dee meant numbers, not money. I'm yes. not casting any aspersions here. And it's, Ronnie shits himself a little bit does. as as Dee Dee carries that folder away. Yeah. It's chippy tea time at the Baileys and Ronnie has gone and got a proper accountant. But she correctly says that Dee Dee isn't. When Dee Dee isn't, she's not an accountant. No, but she's a lawyer. Plus, he doesn't need his niece looking over his shoulder, seeing all these dodgy stock market <laughs> shenanigans, he admits. <laughs> and that's as far as we get with that this week. This is so obviously going to fail. Going to go tits up. Right, yeah, <laughs> because something's going to happen. Henry. Oh, 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 can I guess? What? Philip. We made a big deal about how Philip's a dirty bastard a couple of weeks ago uh-huh. with the whole sweetheart thing. Right. And remember the HR have been involved in this. Right. There's a scandal that's just waiting to happen about Randy Philip and his Mr. Tickle Hands or something. It's going to blow up. Newton and Ridley is going to be in the papers for all the wrong reasons and the share price is going to plummet and the buying is going to be either off or cancelled or delayed or whatever. Right. That's what yes. I think's happening. And also, somehow, Henry will save the rovers. Oh, still? Yes, because remember, remember, we believe that Henry doesn't know anything about this sale because that would put the kibosh on the whole buying the rovers Mm -hmm. or saving the rovers, or it would be breaking the promise that he made to Jenny that she can continue to run it the way she wants. Right. And so he will not sign off on the sale as you know, second in command, as one of the shareholders of the company, mm-hmm. and maybe both of those things will happen. But yeah, the sale I is not going to go through. The one thing that we can be sure of is that this is going to backfire. The price, the horribly, the shares are going to be worthless. There's not even a 
any point in holding on to them because normally if the share price takes a hit you hang on for a couple of months or six months or whatever and it eventually climbs back again you get your money back but that's not going to happen <laughs> that's not going to happen here Ronnie has lost all the money that they've made on the houses it's all going to be his fault Debbie should should know better than this because this is another one of Debbie's schemes and how well did Debbie's scheme go the last time? Horribly. Why is she not putting any money into this? That's what I want to know. Oh, well, she can't because she's the one that's seen the paperwork. Oh, and that yeah. makes it insider trading. Right. Apparently. Right. I'm not sure it does. No. Still makes it illegal, though. But telling Ronnie about it, or Ronnie just deciding off his own free will to buy £25,000 worth of shares, which in itself is so suspicious. It really is. You know, you've mentioned the the similarities here between the one, one addiction, addiction and, and another addiction, and the families addiction. are very different. But is either family handling it better than the other? Because initially, you think that the Baileys are handling this better because at least they're talking about it. And at least but they're not they, really talking about it because Ed had no idea well, about this. No, they, this fund. They, they kept Ed in the dark because they didn't want to hurt Ed's feelings and his and his masculinity because this whole telling of the whole Aggie thing is just toxic masculinity in the Bailey family over and over, isn't it? Because Ronnie's like, sorry, man, I had to tell, I had to tell him because he has a right to know. Cause he's a man. Right. Yes. And has a right to defend his family or whatever sort of thing, which was absolutely ridiculous. What I thought was going to happen is Ronnie was going to use this information on Aggie and say to Aggie, we have this opportunity and think of how bad Ed would feel if you got assaulted again and genuinely hurt to the point where you, you can't lie to him about it and everything. And, and this is a really great opportunity and, and, use, and use it on Aggie. But instead, he tells Ed for basically no reason right. except for that to be the thing that gets Michael to spill the beans about the emergency fund. And it's all... Yeah, and those things aren't connected really... At all. It right. was... it. Yeah. It would have never come out otherwise. And it's so convoluted because if Michael hadn't walked by the, <laughs> the alleyway, of doom. alleyway of doom at just the right time and also been a decent person and helped Cassie out... Mm -hmm and then refused to leave her at the hospital by herself, then none of this would have ever come out. Yeah, there's a lot of things happened here so this story can happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. I feel a little used. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, what a wicked web we weave. What on the earth is Lorna Laidlaw doing, though? Because Seriously. she gets mentioned. Where is Aya she? gets mentioned every week and then never shows up. Where is she? Seriously, where is she? I've no idea. This is something I think for Corey News to investigate. Right. Yeah. Who's but, in charge of and, that? And yet, and yet, there's no news as to why she's gone. Why does no one care? I mean, there's no, there's no news of going off to do some... Panto? Or, well, not this time of year, but West End shows or anything like that, or... One woman tours of the the country and stuff, or having to testify at court. I, I don't, I can't remember the last time that we've had someone get mentioned so frequently when they're not there, right? 
Because normally when they're not there, you'd, you'd never mention them because right. cause they're not there. The way no one mentions their children if they can help it. Like Simon doesn't get a mention until he shows up this week. <laughs> he comes up and says, how does he know Peter again? <laughs> oh, that's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Poor Simon. And then he's just like in that one little scene. I feel really bad though for Ed because Ed here... I think is doing the right thing and building on a success properly. They've had a property development that they've managed to flip and they've sold stuff at a profit. They've made money. Ed wants to reinvest that money and do the same thing again. Right. See that one thing that we did? And it was a success? Let's do that again. Right. And Ronnie doesn't seem to understand that... Ed would have to hire more people to do all these pie-in-the-sky things that Ronnie wants to do and does not seem to understand the logistics of having to do that Mm -hmm. and the money that you would need to do that. Yeah. You know, it's basically just Ed now that Paul is out of commission. Right, and and Gary occasionally. Yeah, and I guess occasionally Ronnie, but how does Ronnie ever get his hands clean? Although, I mean, I guess he has to every once in a while to get those arms. For sure. Ah, such good arms. But Ed's even like, you know, if we have to take this kitchen renovation or we have to do this little cottage thing, all right, it's smaller, but we're waiting for that other thing. So it's something we can be doing and making money while we're waiting for the next big thing. So if we made 25 grand on this, we're waiting for the next big thing that's going to make us 40 grand or 50 grand. And then we build on that and then it's something that's going to make us 100. Right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. You've discovered something that works. Right. You've made a tidy profit. Do it again. And things that people actually need, you know? Yeah, seriously. All right. There's a housing crisis out there. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Our next storyline is, did you lift, bro? On Monday, Peter and Carla still aren't talking to each other, so Peter takes it upon himself to talk to Ryan about chipping in with the rent. Although the money really is to go towards that stupid watch thing and paying back Lou. Lou. Ryan, though, is happy to help and promises to see about getting more hours at the bistro. When Carla comes back for lunch, Ryan mentions that he's off to ask for more shifts at the bistro and admits that Peter had a word with him about contributing a bit more and Carla is furious about this. But Ryan says it's fine, insists that he's ready. But then Ryan gets a text message from someone mysterious and Carla wonders who's sliding into his DMs. Ryan says it's just a random and nothing to get too excited about. Plus, he's not ready for anything heavier at the moment. Mm-hmm. So Ryan's in his room later on sendpics.com messaging something, messaging someone called Liv who wants to know why he never shows his face. Ryan says he likes to keep some mystique. And after some to and fro, Liv cuts to the chase. Look, big chap, shows your cock, all right? Liv says that Ryan can earn pounds, 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 pounds by showing his cock on ovids.com. Yeah. Never type that into your web browser. Okay. Um, How many times do I have to tell the men on this show that women don't talk like this? <laughs> that there is a scam involved here? Oh, I don't think this is a woman. Yeah, but initially he thought it was a woman. Oh, yeah, but obviously. Well, I think Ryan's had his fill of getting catfished off people surely he should be somewhat suspicious about right. this anyway right yes yeah yeah and yet 
Ryan and has, yet. Ryan has to think about it. About how Peter wants money, about how he doesn't like people, so doesn't really want to work at the bistro. And so he unfastens his belt. And we reckon gets his cock out at that point. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought. But then yes. on Wednesday, it seems to not have happened. No. Well, I think maybe he sent one to this person, not to the website. Oh, really? Breakfast at the fancy Barlow flat and Carla is complaining about the dregs of milk being put back in the fridge. She's not a borrower, she says. That was funny. Did you get the borrowers here? Yes, we love the borrowers, borrowers here. Are excellent. Ryan is deeply immersed in his phone and encouraged to go shopping by Carla to A, get some milk and B, get something for dinner. Ryan is a bit shamed because he can't currently put anything into the pot and then he gets a text from this live character asking if he's changed his mind about the bobby shots. Ryan says no. So what was all that about yesterday then? Mm-hmm. I'm so confused. Ryan's on his way to the shops and runs into Daisy who is has some exciting news for him she's getting ready to move into the builder's yard flat with daniel and she hasn't even taken the day off work which means she won't be expected to do anything but before she can tell ryan any of this sean shits himself or something and requires some immediate attention in the rovers so ryan goes along and helps and cleans the pipes and sean thinks he could easily come back to work at the rovers and be a successful bit of eye candy but Ryan is focusing on his online career, which gives Daisy some heebie-jeebies given how hers ended up. Sean reckons he can only make serious money online by posting pictures of his cock on Ovid's. Back on his way to the shops again, this time Ryan runs into Daniel and helps him with some boxes. Daniel is thrilled about moving into his own place with Daisy and Bertie. It's great to be able to afford lovely things, says Daniel, because every conversation Ryan has today has to be about money. Oh, and the whole moving in thing with Daisy, which Ryan knew nothing about. They've been living together for over a year now. Mm -hmm. Just because they were living together at Jenny's and then at Ken's doesn't mean that they weren't living together. I am so confused by this. I'm so confused by why Ryan didn't know they were living together when they've been living together forever. See, I thought it was the sign of success and progression that now they're able to afford a flat, now they're able to afford a nursery in the flat, suggesting that perhaps they're going to have more children. Right, So I think Ryan's looking at... Well, Daniel thinks they're going to have more children. So Ryan's looking at his contemporaries and his peers and thinking, mm-hmm. well, these guys are going places and here I am selling pictures in my cock. Right. He needs to talk he needs to talk to Todd, who's even older than he is. Right. That's what I thought it was. Maybe it, maybe it is. Well, no, because later on with Daisy, he's like, How dare you not tell me you were moving in with Daniel? Well, that's just a thing you say to people, isn't it? Meanwhile, Sean, Daisy and Glenda have a look at the latest photos of Ryan online, which isn't creepy in the slightest. It's kind of hilarious. Glenda is very impressed. Yes. Daisy, though, is worried about where Ryan's self-esteem is and resolves to say something much against the advice of Glenda, who will probably be heading off to the ladies to knock one out whenever there's a lull in trade. Right, yes, because Daisy is concerned that he never shows his face in these pictures, that it's just his torso, Mm -hmm. which is kind of creepy. So Daisy goes to see Ryan at home and before she can get her tuppence out, Ryan 
brings up the moving in with Daniel thing and insists he's fine about it. He doesn't need his feelings spared anymore about it. Right. But he's, how dare you not tell me? He says he's happy for her and gives her a bottle of wine as a housewarming gift. He tells her he's expecting a call, so she leaves without getting her concerns aired. Correct. Daisy goes back to number one where Daniel is still packing because that's what you do on the day you move. You pack. Mm. You don't do that ahead of time. No. Daisy shows off Ryan's housewarming gift and is convinced now that he's turned a corner. Great, says Daniel. This means that you can drop him like he's hot. Operation support Ryan is done. Indeed, says Daisy, cautiously. And also there's something having to do with a garlic press. I didn't understand that part. They seem to be stealing utensils from Ken's kitchen. Well, and also Daisy thought that the, the garlic press was something else something having to do with hygiene and i couldn't figure that out ryan uh, tearfully checks out his reflection in the mirror later and somewhat reluctantly sets up his ovid's account and gets ready to whip his old man out for reals this time he strips and sexually vocalizes his internal monologue as he figures out the best way to take a photo of his meeting to veg later ryan says elvis has left the building which I think might be code for spooging into an old sock or whatever. Immediately, he gets a text from Liv demanding more. Give me five minutes, fuck's sake, says Ryan. Seriously. So he heads off to Nina Rolls to recuperate and drink some milk. Glenda compliments <laughs> oh. him on his latest video, and Ryan is mortified, but it turns out she's talking about his fitness stuff, right. not his Bobby-based material. And he is relieved. She congratulates him, saying that she does stuff like him, but ends up regretting it. Regret, 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 regret. Back home, any lingering regrets Ryan has seem to vanish as the money starts rolling in on his Ovid's account. A man masturbating online? He's clearly filled a niche, and within a part of an afternoon, he has a dedicated following already. Right. 20 quid. 25 quid. 30 quid. Wow. Ma, you gotta see this. It's a man masturbating online. Whatever next. <laughs> was he masturbating or was he just, just taking dick pics? I don't think he was masturbating. I don't think it was a video of him he masturbating. He said Elvis has left the building. I thought that was just him. Okay, you know, I'm I'm pulling my pants up now so you cannot see my penis anymore. I think that's him saying that he's spent. Elvis has left the building. I saw no videos there. Of course you saw no videos there. It was just a picture that is blurred. When we see the screen later, it's just a picture that is blurred. He... To insinuate that it's a picture of Ryan's penis. I'm almost sure that he's masturbating. 90% 90 sure. Fine. So later, Ryan is able to throw 30 quid in at the flat fund and offers to make dinner. And over dinner, Ryan is proud to announce that he's an online fitness influencer now with offers of sponsorship already. So that's good for him, isn't it, Helen? Yeah, it's very nice. Later, Ryan is reading some of his Ovid's comments and they think that he needs a bit more meat in his bones and to bulk up a bit. And so he retrieves his steroids from the shoebox under his bed and starts injecting himself up the arsehole again. Yeah, and he's got a bruise on his ass, and I'm like, Ryan, sweetheart, Bobby, you don't have to stick yourself in the same place on your ass every time to the point where you get a bruise. Right. You know, and you can Mix also, and you can also just inject it in your belly. 
that's actually easier and less painful. But then how, how are we going to get our little shots of... Of his ass? Mm-hmm. On Friday, Carla can't sleep because of worrying about Lou and pain her back. Simon comes round for some reason and Peter almost <laughs> so immediately... So that we remember that he exists. Peter almost immediately leaves to go and do some taxi fares. He gives him a hug at least. <laughs> Probably steals money out of his pocket. <laughs> He'll be back to take Ryan to a hospital appointment later. And that's Peter. Simon, we're not sure why he's there. Ryan, though, right, I thought Simon was going to walk in on Ryan injecting himself and that's where the cookie was going to crumble. Uh, Apparently not. Ryan knows in his room getting some chat from punters on the Ovid's thing. One in particular is looking for something very saucy, seeing as it's pride and that. And Ryan seems open to it for a bit of extra pay. Well, no. First he texts back, sorry, I'm not gay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Ryan, Bobby. That's the second time you've Bubba called him Bobby. Sweetheart, who do you think is looking at these pictures and sending you money? Right. Who do you think your following is? How many women do you think are sending you money online to see your penis? When women don't need to pay money to see a penis. Women get sent dick pics unsolicited (laughs) all the time. I mean, it hasn't happened to me in years, but it does happen. We'll see if we can fix that. <laughs> He's worried about his scars, though. Then Ryan, who doesn't work at the factory, goes to the factory to give Carla money for the likey bill. Beth is pissed because Ryan's daily torso pics have dried up. And Carla's confused how Ryan's making this money if he stopped posting pictures. Ryan blames the algorithm. Hmm. Later, Peter's back and sticks his head round the door to tell him he's nipping off for a shite at Roy's and he'll be back to take Ryan to his scar clinic later. Ryan, meanwhile, is getting more pressure from his chat who want face pics and one that's willing to pay top dollar very good price for you. It was, can I just say, it was nice to have some Beth and Kurt sexy time talk again on the show, which we haven't had in ages. Where they're talking about... Oh, getting lubed up? Yeah, where they're talking about lube. And, and Kurt is asking him what kind of lube he uses on his torso. Do you use baby oil? <laughs> and then they say not to use something because it's too sticky. Mm-hmm. Uh, pack, I think, or yeah. some sort of butter. Yeah. Love it. Love it. This is the cut. This is the content I'm looking for. And once and again, it gives Carla an excuse to call them Posh and Bex. Yes. Because that's exactly I'm what they're like. So glad they got back together. Yeah, I still wanted a story out of that, but and they're both dressed for pride. It was nice. Yeah. At the flat later, Carla has been speaking to Beth, and apparently there's been some negative or hurtful comments on one of the photos that he posted where his arm scar is visible. Right. Right. Car- yeah, because he goes home and he immediately posts something for Beth and says, "There you go, Beth." Mm-hmm. Carla tries to tell him to ignore it, and the photo is great, and Ryan reacts very badly to this, and ends up screaming into Carla's face and breaking plates, and he blames Carla for all of this. Peter comes in, pulls Ryan off. But not like that. And pushes him against the wall, telling him to calm down. Ryan is ranting and pacing and says, maybe, look, this is just, maybe I should just move out. Good idea, says Peter. So that's what Ryan does. 
Spear goes into Ryan's room and starts to do his packing for him. Oh, this is so frustrating. Ignoring the steroids in the drawer. <laughs> Carla thinks this is overkill, but Peter isn't putting Carla's well-being into jeopardy. Plus, yeah, Peter's never really liked Ryan living there and would be happy to see him gone. It's so frustrating. He takes all the clothes, but then Carla comes in and his attention is focused on Carla and not looking back at the drawer where he's just taking these clothes out to see the drugs. Mm -hmm. It is so frustrating. I wanted to scream. Ryan comes back to the flat with his tail between his legs. He starts to cry as he apologises and he and Carla hug. She's the last person he would want to hurt. Peter agrees to treat what happened earlier as a one-off, but it can't happen again. And privately, Carla tells Peter that Ryan is struggling and Peter agrees. But what Peter doesn't say is, well, if he's struggling so badly, maybe he needs more help than just being allowed to live in his room at his aunt's house because if he needs he needs something more than that clearly right he needs some help here he needs some actual therapy right and that's as far as we get with that this week yes they do not see the drugs although peter says or does carla say you know that was totally against character and something something must be up to make him do that mm-hmm and yet neither one of them think to look in that stupid fucking drawer and see the drugs right there. No, and I'm wondering what Ryan thinks now that Peter's packed for him. Right. And, you know, that drawer's probably still open with, right. the, with the drugs right there. What I found ridiculous is he put those in the garbage and tied the garbage off and then left it in his, in his trash can in his room. Mm-hmm. Where has he been throwing away his trash if, if not in there? And where's, tied he, off. where's he been putting these dirty needles? Right. Well, no, because he didn't he didn't need to because he had put everything in there and wasn't using it and then untied it to start using again. So he didn't have any dirty needles after he tied it off. So where were they? Because he's injected himself up the arsehole a couple of times. Right. And then he stopped yeah, and but put it in the garbage with, bag. What did he do with those needles? Well, he'd already thrown them away. What, so they're what? probably on the bottom of that bin. And well, then that, he tied it off and then he didn't use. So there were no more dirty needles. But there are dirty needles. Well, yeah, now and, that and he's now, opened And now I'm it, curious where they are. That, that's my point. They're in the what, bin. What did he do with the, the first lot? They're in what, that, what bin? They're in that bin that he tied off. You keep on saying he tied it off. What, did. what bin did he tie off? The bin in his room. Remember last week when so, he freaked out so and he put everything... So his needles are in a plastic bag then. Yeah. Because he's an idiot. Well, that, and that's kind of where I'm going. It's like, they're not in a sharps tin or a no, sharps box or anything. because that would be very suspicious, wouldn't right. it? Especially if you have one for your own personal use, yes. Right. Yes, as I did. But you just go into the, in the bathroom. At, the pub's probably got one in the bathroom. Probably. Or like for all the people that are shooting up heroin in the rovers, like a casino nearby. Or no, it's for all the old people who go to the rovers. That's what the casino ones are for. It's for all the old people who have to shoot up their medication before they go back to their little <laughs> machine to put more coins in. We've got one at work. Yeah, because there are lots of diabetics at work. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, we got there in the end. <laughs> We did. I, I don't know about Ryan's roid rage, which isn't the easiest thing in the world to right, say. Right, because, because 
you know, as we mentioned, he tied it off. So he had not been on it for a while. And then he injects himself in, and is like immediately, immediately filled with rage again. Mm. If anything, the first few days that he was coming down from it should have been when he was like really raging and freaking out because yeah. his body is freaking out that it's not getting the stuff that it's gotten used to. So he, he's full of testosterone then. He's just brimming with it. I guess is what we're that's what we're saying. Yeah. It's something that I know next to nothing about, but it just It feels like it's far too automatic. It, it, yeah, and it feels like it's we're trying to crush every emotion into just a few wee scenes about this because this has all been very quickly spiraling out of control. Right. And I mean the the highs and the lows and stuff, that makes sense. But the fact that you know, it happens so quickly after he injects himself. That's the thing that's right. like. And the fact that they decided to give him a bruise as if he's only injecting in that one ass cheek, in that one spot in his ass cheek, mm. even though he's not really looking at his ass cheek. That's kind of ridiculous. How much does Peter want Ryan to out that flat, though? Yeah. A Off lot. <laughs> a lot. There's an awful lot of love for Peter and Carla on the couch. And yeah. Carla's ruffling his hair. Yes, even though there are continuity errors in that whole scene where you see her, like, holding his hand or rubbing his tummy, and then you shoot to Ryan, and then you shoot back to Carla, and she's playing with his hair. And she's got a hat on. Right. <laughs> and a pair of novelty glasses. <laughs> and a beatnik cigarette holder, see? That's not how beatniks talk, man. I mean, <laughs> let's move on to our penultimate storyline. Happy Lily Day, everybody. Woohoo! On Friday at number eight, it's Lily's 10th birthday. On Pride! And Max has passed his GCSEs. On Some, Pride! Somehow, let's not ask too many questions about that. Yes. David and Shona are keen to celebrate like it's 1999. Stephen drops into the rovers to ask Jenny out to a wine tasting afternoon. Do you like a wee bit of wine tasting? Do you spit or do you swallow? Do you like it in the afternoon? Who knows? He's been given two tickets and he thought of her. A bit of business, a bit of pleasure. Jenny is flattered and agrees. Still got it, kid. In the Rovers later, David is in for a beer ahead of Lily's party and because Stephen is there, he gets roped into the party too and there is no excuse. This is a three-line whip. Right. This, this, is, this is a family party. This, all plats on deck. <laughs> And this Jenny comes in all dolled up for the wine tasting and Stephen has to explain about the slight change of plan. Hmm. A ten-year-old's birthday party. Jenny is gutted and Glenda advises Jenny to take her big earrings out before the London Bridge is falling down, which was exceptionally right. funny. which, how old do they think ten-year-olds are? <laughs> because this is not the first time... Ten, that, I think. Right, yes. But 10-year-olds aren't going to be pulling on your earrings. Just like there's a reference to, like, spit up later on. And it's like, they're 10. They're not babies. Still funny. Stephen promises it'll just be for a minute. And then they can get hammered on free vino as planned. Audrey arrives at number 8. And even though a year ago they were worried that she was a suicidal alcoholic, they're relieved when she announces that she's brought the wine. Right, because Shona only got cider. And they ask Jenny later if she wants some cider, and she says, no, I'm not 15. She also mentions a letter that she's got from an equity release company that David writes off as a scam and warns her not to phone them 
Discussion over, Stephen can now come in with Jenny and it's weird as fuck. What's Jenny doing at number eight? David thinks that she's an upgrade from Tim's mum. And he says Tim's mum and that made me laugh as well. <laughs> but here it is. This is kind of the moment that we've been waiting for a little bit. Right, absolutely. Audrey's got a letter from the right. equity release people. Right. And doesn't know what it is. Right. And she's going to bring it round next so, week. So Gail and so David Gail can look can at it. it. Stephen, you're about to get found out. Now, Jack... Or about this bit, anyway. Right. Maybe not the rest of it. Now, Jack P. Shepard has said that, you know, shit's going down and that his character is very involved in it. Oh, really? So, so we see how now, brown cow. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Moo. Eminem. Eminem. Just showing face has gone a bit longer and Jenny finds herself with a buffy plate and being quizzed by Shona about her relationship with Lord Sugar. But it turns out that Jenny, you know what? She's enjoying herself and she asks to stay, allowing Shona to welcome her to the family. And that's as far as we get with that this week. She's just going, she's just going to, she's just going to go around until she's related to every family on the street, isn't she? Right. Which one of the Barlows is she going to hook up with? <laughs> she going to hook up with Ken, do you think? Ugh. She does like the mold. The mold or them old? <laughs> them. Or a little bit of both? Oh. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. Got a wee earthquake going on here. There was a tornado last night and now we've got an earthquake. Right. This is, this is, that, this is what we've been waiting right. for. And it's, it's kind of crushing though because... With anyone else, this would seem kind of sweet that Jenny is is finding herself in the middle of a family again and is happy about it, and we would be happy for her. Mm-hmm. But we're not happy for her because it's Stephen yeah. who murders people and drugs people and steals money from his mum. I'm not sure how on board I am, though, with the, with the methods that we've employed to get Stephen kind of found out a little bit. The first one that we had was he pulled faces behind Tim's mum's back. Here, it's a letter that's been delivered to Audrey from an insurance company. So, a letter and a look that really could have happened at any time. That letter could have arrived six months ago. It should have arrived six months ago. I'm just waiting for a corpse to float up. That's what I'm waiting for. You don't throw a body in a shallow pond, essentially. <laughs> right. And not have it rise up at some point. Right. It's bounty. But that would be a better way rather mm. than just a letter. Well, but, we start small and then we get to the big crimes. I guess. But that was it was fun anyway, and it was fun seeing Audrey being uh, being treated like a, a a returning hero when she comes in with the vino. That was quite good fun. <laughs> yes. When everybody forgets that she's a suicidal alcoholic. And That's good fun. And Lolly doesn't give a shit. According to you. Doesn't care a shit. Well, it's played for, for comedy here, isn't it? It is. But is it is it played for comedy against a suicidal alcoholic? Or the woman with brain damage from getting shot in the stomach? Or are we mocking both of them? We're mocking both of them. And it's fine. <laughs> is it? Yeah, because it's like they don't care anymore. So we we cared about this last year. We don't care about it now. We can't care about the same thing two years on the bounce. Can't we? No. Well, they can't 
and they continually prove it. Our final storyline tonight is Pride Before a Fall. Oh, well done. Thank you. On Monday, in the Godflat, Billy is reading aloud his letter to the bishop, begging to be allowed to marry a homosexual man, namely Paul. If his sermons are anything like his letter writing, it's maybe no surprise that no one on the street goes to his church. Paul comes into the room. He seems to be a bit worse than he was the last time we saw him, and he looks like he needs a wash. Summer comes in on the phone, invited to a party for passing her A-levels, but she'd rather hang out with Paul, who is single-handedly destroying the kitchen when he tries to make a cuppa. He insists he's fine, and rejects Billy's offer of help. So Summer and Paul are enjoying their movie afternoon later, but when Paul gets up to get popcorn, it's a cup of tea from earlier all over again. He still insists that he's fine, but he can barely move. Billy comes in with a walking stick and Paul hits the roof. He doesn't want anything to do with it, but Summer tells him to grab it and come out on a walk with her. What a bitch. Now see, I thought they were going to go to the movie theatre. How special is it to sit on your couch and watch a movie? Right, that's what I thought as well. Outside, Roy and Debbie are talking about Mussolini and the trains running on time, while along the other end of the street, Paul is struggling with his walking stick. This was the funniest thing ever. Because Roy just will Roy not just shut up about will it. Will not shut up about the trains running on time. And you see Debbie's face, and she's trapped. Yep. And she has no way out. Well, she could just turn around and walk away, but she can't. No. She, she could do it, but she can't. No. And she says to him, this is fascinating, Roy, but I've really got to go and... Right, uh, yeah, eventually. But even that's not enough. Yeah, so walking along the other side of the street, Paul is struggling with his walking stick and reckons that Roy and Debbie are talking about him. Summer encourages him and tries to mask how painful this all is for her. And when they get back to the God flat, it seems that Bernie and Billy have had some birthday surprises in store tomorrow for Paul. It's been a tough day for him. Billy suggests a wheelchair might be better than the walking stick, but Paul is a firm no on that. On Wednesday, it's Paul's birthday and Billy's present is an engagement ring. Fuck's sake, Billy. That's an engagement present, not a birthday present. Where's your birthday present? And it looked more like a wedding band. There yeah, was no, There were no rocks on there. There was a little stone in it. Was there? Yep. It was tiny. <laughs> it's an archbishop's salary. Archbishop? Archdeacon. God, you got me as bad as you. <laughs> Paul is stupid and is happy about it. It's perfect, he says. Paul goes to Neil's roles to show off his ring to his sister. But not like that. Thank you. He wants to hang out with her and Chesney. <coughs> but she has made plans for a bash at the bistro for the pair of them. At the bistro, Paul is pissed because it's not just family only. Dee Dee's there. Bryn is wired to the moon on two sherbet dips. So Paul takes him to the park to get him the fuck out of the bistro and Bryn too. No one thinks a man with MND and a walking stick is maybe ill-equipped to look after a hyperactive toddler who's out of his tits on sugar, but whatever. And he appears to be the only toddler there at that point. Yeah. We see none of the other children at this point. And Joseph's not there. Paul is. Why at, is Joseph not there? Paul is at the precinct playground with Bryn, who, still full to the tits on sugar, runs off. Paul tries to give chase, but he's on his stick and he falls flat on his face. And luckily... Before anything disastrous can go, uh, can happen, Peter is there to catch the kid and help Paul back up. So much Peter this week. It's 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 almost as if we're we're trying to get as much Peter we're, as possible. We get our money's worth before we have to say goodbye. 
Back at the metro, Peter heads off for a shift, leaving Paul to apologise profusely for nearly getting Bryn killed. He can't let this happen again, so won't be doing stuff with his uh, on his own with the quads anymore, and he's devastated by this. On his way back to the flat, Paul's day gets worse when he's so tired he can't make the last few yards and certainly can't make it up the stairs, so a passing Todd has to carry Paul up because Billy certainly isn't capable. Paul is heavier than Todd thought, and Billy's out of breath for some reason. <laughs> Todd knows an old biddy who died the other week who had a stair lift and offers to do some digging to see if they'd be willing to sell it. And later, while they're on their own, Paul tells Billy that today has been a wake-up call and he needs to do things while he can, like walk down the aisle. This is maybe the most important thing Paul wants to be able to do. One last lap. On Friday, it's Pride and Summer wants to glitter bomb Billy's beard. Paul's still struggling and doesn't want to stray too far away and this suits Billy who just wants to take a seat and people watch And as Pride goes by. And later, Billy and Paul are ABBA and Bernie and Gemma are flamboyantly dressed also. Bernie wants to get a nice spot to do the people watching. Chesney is looking after the kids because he's homophobic. <laughs> Billy gets a call though and it's bad news. The Uh-oh. celebrations are put on hold because the occupational therapist has had a cancellation and expects to see them later today. And Billy, because he's an arse, has agreed. What the fuck, Billy? Yeah. And why is why is she calling you? Why is she not calling Paul, the actual patient? Oh, yeah, can't just speak to Billy because he answered the phone. No, you say, I need <laughs> to speak to Paul, yes. who is my patient. So later the therapist, Melody, arrives. Paul's in a bad mood and Billy's embarrassed by Paul's bad mood. Melody is there to help and get them whatever they need. What Paul wants to be doing is something nice. So Melody offers to come back, but Billy insists that they plough on. And Melody senses something's amiss here and sends Billy off to make tea and tries to get Paul to open up on his own. But Billy is too quick at making tea and ends up answering questions that aren't directed at him. Billy thinks it's time for a wheelchair. Melody tells Billy to shut his fucking mouth just for a second. Seriously. And let Paul talk. Paul says that Billy does this all the time. Melody promises to make Paul the priority, but a wheelchair, you know, probably is in Paul's very near future. So Melody goes, and Billy thinks that went very well, and now wants to go to Pride. Paul, though, is scunnered by Billy's stance on this and accuses him of rushing Paul through all of his decay. He doesn't know why Billy's not on his side, and Billy chooses uh, to make it all about him yeah chooses to be butthurt about this no matter what he does he can't save Paul from dying he says Paul says he's obsessed with his physical decline and doesn't care about his emotional one which I think is a great line absolutely but there's no way in the world that Paul said that well but he did and yet Billy still doesn't hear it no it's fucking ridiculous Do you know how many times I shouted at my iPad, shut the fuck up, Billy, (laughs) during this episode? So many times. They're making him unbearable. Seriously. Seriously. (laughs) Which is what happens every time they give him a boyfriend. That's true. It happens every single time. He becomes unbearable. And he's only sort of bearable to begin with. Sorry, Dan. (laughs) David finds an upset Paul in the community garden and thankfully reminds us that the two of them do have history because they used to share a cell together round about the time when we were throwing How I Met Your Mother season one DVDs during prison <laughs> riots. That's right. Paul is pushed and tells David to hold on to his family and never let them go. Billy goes looking for Paul at Gemma's but he's not there. 
Billy explains about the row, and there's a knock at the door, and Billy, who can't fucking help himself, answers the door in someone else's house. Seriously. What are you doing, Billy? Cut it out, Billy. It's David, though, to warn him about Paul. Billy blames himself. Gemma misunderstands and tells him that he can't wrap Paul up in a bubble, even though that's exactly what he's trying to do. Right. So an MND sufferer with a walking stick has managed to elude a search party of four adults until Bernie sees him falling out of a cab with a bunch of drag queens and falling into the rovers with them. Including the drag <clears throat> queen who in real life made Gemma's wedding dress. Oh, really? Yeah. Which one? The black and white one. Real, the one that didn't say nothing? Yeah, the right. one who was carrying the walker. Okay. Who said very little. She does speak, but she says very little. So, Billy goes into the rovers to ruin everyone's day. Bernie says that they've all been worried. Paul says he went to Pride as arranged. Gemma thinks Paul has been selfish. And then Nina, Asha and Summer come in dressed as the Golden Girls as a special treat for Except Paul. Except they're missing Dorothy. <coughs> and they mistakenly say that Addie was supposed to be dressed as Rose. But... Nina, Nina is clearly Rose. Well, Nina I is, Summer was Rose. No, Summer was um, the slutty one. Guess which one of us gives a shit about the Golden Girls? This, oh, God, what was her name? Blanche. Blanche. How could Blanche I Blanche du, Dubois. Yes, Blanche Dubois. Good and job. I'm, and I'm not the one that gives a shit about Good job, yes. Golden she's Girls. dressed as, as Blanche. And Asha, hilariously, is Sophia. My favorite. So, but I really... She was the youngest one. And yet she played the oldest one. I'm really kind of disappointed that they don't have a Dorothy and that they mistakenly say that Addie was supposed to be Rose and not Dorothy. They don't even mention Dorothy's name. How dare they? How dare they do this? You done? (laughs) Billy, though, is determined to piss on everyone's chips and insists that he and Paul talk, but Paul just wants to have a laugh. So Billy goes back to the flat with his tail between his legs. Those parishioners are going to feel his wrath on Sunday. And seriously, it's so weird. You know, he's he's supposedly the one who wants to go to Pride and have fun. And yet he's not still in his ABBA costume. Why did he change out of his ABBA costume at all this whole time? Why? Because it'd be quite weird looking for someone who's gone missing while dressed as Bjorn. Gemma and Bernie don't change. That's right. They don't change. No, they always stay the same. I'm really disappointed that we don't get to see Chesney with face makeup, though. Yep. Pity that he hates gays. Later, Bernie and Gemma are nipping Paul's ear about making up with Billy. Gemma helps Paul home and he explains how all this is making him feel and how his time is running out and how he had another fall at Pride and it was that was the thing that made the drag queens rescue him and bring him back to the rovers. Right. Everything is reminding him that he's dying. Gemma warns him not to push Billy away. Meanwhile, Billy has gone out to pick up a bottle of wine when he runs into Todd, who has news of the stairlift. And this just about sets Billy off, so the two of them head back to the flat to talk about it. And Billy tells Todd that he can't do this anymore and tells Todd about the time that Paul snogged an old flame after he'd got wasted one time. If it wasn't for the MND, Billy says that he would have left after that. And of course, Paul hears this and tells Billy not to hang around in his own flat for this, for his sake. He 
he understands. He says that he wants to go to bed and he leaves Billy with an awful lot of thinking to do. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. And during that whole scene before Paul shows up, I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. Paul's already home. Yep. Where is Paul? Yep. Is he hiding behind the couch? Why? Has he fallen over again? Why is why is Paul not here when we saw him come home with Gemma? What is going on here? And then, of course, he pops up because he was in bed already. And he'd unfortunately washed off his, his Ziggy Stardust makeup. What I got from this was they're trying to create this lovely history that Billy and Paul had together by them reminiscing about previous Pride. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got they've got this the Abba costume. Some you know, there's some kind of continuity here between mm-hmm. the two of them over this long period of time that that involves previous prides. Right. When in actual fact, it's a it's a mystery why they're going out together. Correct. And it's a further mystery why Billy is determined to marry him, because there's so few. And far between moments where it even looks like Billy and Paul like each other, never mind love each other, never mind think about getting married to each other. He shouldn't be trying to marry him. He should be trying to adopt him because he he's so paternalistic mm-hmm. and belittling and infantilizing of Paul. And he doesn't see it. And he makes everything about himself. He's so insufferable. And I don't know what they've done what the makeup team has done to Daniel Brocklebank, but they've made him look older so that the contrast between him and Paul, I don't know. It's just, it seems even more obvious the age difference between the two of them. I think he's got a tan as the difference. He's got a bit of a tan. And so his beard looks a little whiter. Right. Maybe that's making him look a little bit older. Yeah. There's just so little redeeming, bits about this relationship that that would make you think that marriage should be anything that they're talking about wasting any of paul's remaining time on planning for or going through with because this is all paul has to look forward to is billy being so condescending to him and treating him the way all disabled people say not to treat them. Mm-hmm. You know, they can speak for themselves. They can make their own decisions. You know, it. it well, it, yeah, they, they got almost, melody around for for Billy, as far as Billy's concerned. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and he's like, "Oh, I just lie awake all night." You know, worrying about whether I'm doing enough for you. And it's like, stop. That was the worst thing I think I've ever heard him say. Stop. Complaining that he can't sleep at night for worrying. Right. Yeah. Stop. Well, poor you. Yeah. You're not the one dying. Meanwhile, over here, I'm dying. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And it takes a while for me to come to grips to dying and losing my independence. You know, does Billy not remember that Paul was so concerned about losing his independence a few weeks ago that he was looking into euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Has he completely forgotten this? You know, it's like, maybe you should remember this so that you will do everything you can to make him feel like he's independent. 
and support his decisions and allow him to make his own decisions. Right. There needs to be a little bit of acceptance, though, on Paul's behalf here. Right. And I think the whole thing with Bryn was him coming to some sort of acceptance. You but, know. but still, he's resistant for the wheelchair. He was resistant for the walking stick thing. And yet, the previous day, he ends up by saying, you know, we need to make the most of what I've got left. But not even a day later, he's already trying to resist these things that are happening to him. And I get it. I can understand mm-hmm. why he's, he's trying to do that. But there are things that are going to make his life a little bit easier. Right. Or... Or do we, we want this to be as hard as possible for whatever time that you've got left? And I think that's the right. That that's the crux of it, right? And I think, well, I think for Paul, the thing with the wheelchair is, once he gets in that wheelchair, he's not getting back. No, out. exactly, right. And he's not ready for that yet, and it's got to be his decision, right? And if if it takes a few more falls for him to make that decision, well, then. He's going to have to fall a few more times before he makes that decision. You can't make that decision for him. Right. He's an adult. You know, as much as Billy wants to treat him like a little boy. Yeah, Billy's which job. Which is creepy. Billy's job here, he seems to think, is to make sure that Paul's telling the truth now. Make sure that Paul doesn't tell any lies to Melody about right. how he's doing. Right. And again, that's not really... That's not your job, Billy. That's not really his job. If Paul chooses to sugarcoat this, then... You're just going to have to let him do do it. it. And Melody is good at her job. She'll be able to see that she needs... and And she says to Paul, you know, these are your decisions, this is your life. However, if I see that you really need these things... I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Tough love. Sort of and thing. you know what? It is her job <laughs> to right. do that. It's not Billy's job to do that because she is, she's not sleeping with Paul. So she is. What a twist. <laughs> she's separated from the situation by, a, by professional boundaries. Yeah. She's dispassionate about it. Right. So. It coming from her will be more effective than it coming from Billy or from Gemma or from Bernie because she is dispassionate. It's just this this habit that the show's got when there's medical uh, there's medical requirements that would normally have people waiting for days, weeks, maybe months to happen. And they obviously can't wait days, weeks or months for that thing to happen. So there's a cancellation. And the cancellation means that everyone has to drop everything and it has to happen now. And I think where most of the the, the clashing happened today was from Billy accepting that when it was pride and they were all dressed up ready to go out mm-hmm. and have a laugh and right. watch people and not have a care in the world. Everyone right. was going to be sitting down, just watching right. it happen and slowly get drunk and just let the day pass you by. Right. And Billy has to ruin and it. And Billy had to ruin it and say no. Right. And then get upset that Paul's upset. 
mm-hmm. and not understand why Paul's upset and just being so willfully ignorant throughout this whole thing. It's so insufferable, you know, and it's like, how dare the show make us hate a character in this way? Yeah, it's almost like a few weeks ago when Billy said, you don't get rid of me that easy. It's sounding more and more like a threat and less and less like a promise. Exactly. And I mean, in fairness, it probably would be in Paul's best interest to move somewhere on a fir- that has a first floor. Oh, without, without a doubt. Unquestionable. Yeah. Like Gemma's. <laughs> right. Because they need more people in that flat. Well, flat swap. Right. Put a couple of them in, in Billy's place. Right. That's actually not a bad idea. Summer and Billy and Paul move into Gemma's. And Gemma and Chesney and Bernie and the kids move into Billy's. Or even, it doesn't even have to be as many as that, or but whatever. But at least what, you Billy, want to leave a couple kids with Billy. Sure, he knows how you open the door. He's proved that much. <sighs> I can kind of understand why Billy's trying to do what he's doing. Right, and I can totally understand where Paul is coming from. You know. Oh, absolutely. But and, Billy's just that. There, there is a a relationship dynamic where what Billy is doing will help. And that's where the Paul person in that uh, relationship needs Billy to be that person because right. he can't be that person. Right. But Billy's but, doing it all but wrong. But this is not the way that the relationship is at this moment. Right. It may get to that. Mm-hmm. It probably will get to that mm-hmm. because Billy if this is allowed to go further, will become Paul's voice, whether Paul likes it or not. But very much here, he doesn't want that, and he has expressed it, and Billy's choosing to ignore it. Right. And it's awful. Yeah. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the Mm. week? It's got to be pride, isn't it? Everybody Everybody in the Rovers... The drag queens, the golden girls, Marlena Dietrich. I don't see why not. Yeah. It was it was fantastic. It was fun and there were so many people in the rovers. It was fun. And I don't think I don't think it was overdone. No. I don't think it was we must make everything about pride today. Right. Yeah. But it was done enough to make you think, okay, well this is a special occasion. Right. Lots of people are having fun with us. Yeah. Let's have it just pepper the storylines and then they, they have the, mm-hmm. the, the great scene in the rovers later on I, I don't think it was overdone I don't no. think it was in your face no if you didn't like it fuck it, you well fuck you but it also wasn't on the screen for all that long anyway right. so you really have nothing to complain about seriously and I mean there were there were some bits where you know where they where somebody says well we still have a long way to go and and Beth says well you know at least you can get married now mm-hmm and then, was it Glenda who says, yeah, just wait another 10 years and it'll be mandatory and everybody laughs. Right. So there's, there's enough self-awareness to say we still have a long way to go while also acknowledging how far we've come. 
And that was nice. And I like that the show reminds us the pride isn't necessarily just about people who are LGBTQIA. It's about the people who love those people mm. who are LGBTQIA, you know? And that was really nice, too. It was nice to see Beth and Kirk wearing rainbows. It was nice to see Summer dress up with her lesbian friends as Golden Girls. It was nice that the show remembered that they were, that the, they were gay. They looked more like Bet Lynch, <laughs> Phyllis, and Rita. Or Elsie Tanner, maybe, just mm -hmm. to keep the, keep the theme alive. But anyway, yeah, let's say Pride was our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Our boring moment of the week. <sighs> the garlic grater? No, because if the idea behind that was stealing utensils from Ken's kitchen, I'm fully behind that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, Daniel saying that the wine that Ryan gave them was good. <laughs> Daniel saying that there's <laughs> going to be a nursery someday. Does it have to be Daniel? I mean, typically. It, there just wasn't enough Chesney, really. <laughs> Come on, let's give it to somebody else. Do you know, I think I'd like it to go to Billy. And I'd like it to go to Billy for refusing to get his beard glitter bombed. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Because how dare he not get glitter bombed on Pride? For a moment of the week. It's like so many reasons to hate Billy this week. And that was just one of... See, at first I thought he was protesting because I thought at first Summer wanted him to shave his beard for the, for the ABBA costumes. Right. And then when it becomes evident that she just wants to put glitter in his beard, it's like, what stick do you have up your ass, Billy? <laughs> just let your daughter... Straight men let their daughters put makeup on them. What is wrong with you? Absolutely. All right, well, let's keep our uh, latest little tradition going. Uh, what score would you give the show this week out of 10? Oh, I hate this new tradition. There was so much to hate. <laughs> and yet there was so much I enjoyed. Yeah, it was fairly enjoyable this week, I thought. Yeah. You know, I really liked the, the, the Todd and George storyline. Mm -hmm. I, liked, I liked Pride. There was bits of Cassie and Ty that I really liked. Yeah. Bits of it that I liked less. Yes. But, but the two of them together, I enjoyed. Uh, and just the whole ridiculous Ryan storyline where he's mad because two people who've been living together for like two years now are still going to continue to live together. Yep. Was weird. Six and a half. Six and a half for me as well. Wow. And that's what I was thinking. That's why we're married. There we go. Well, that's the first time in four weeks we've agreed, so good stuff. We agreed on list of lists as well. On Bridge Over Troubled Water. Whatever next. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen and Pickles. Pickles! <laughs> if you've ever... Daisy! If you've ever... Helen! If you've ever... Elvis has left the building... Tell oh, us about no. it and send us photographic evidence. No! <laughs> we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. 
You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Please. Ch- check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Uh, talk of the street. Talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.